What's up, Debating Metal Heads? Welcome back for another episode of Debating Metal with me, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and my co-host, Chris K. This week, we're going a little south of heaven and into the abyss as we give you our take on Slayer's Greatest Hits. Kenneth and I will pick 15 of our favorite Slayer songs, creating our own greatest hits. Then we're going to go head-to-head to determine which of these songs makes it onto our Ultimate Greatest Hits compilation. We've done Metallica, Megadeth, and most recently Anthrax, so we're finishing off the big four with Slayer, which might prove to be the most difficult yet. I'll also have another Rusty Metal pick for you as usual, and this one goes back 36 years, but still kicks ass today. Then I have my Freshly Forged Pick of the Week, where I offer my opinion on a new release I think you should get into. You'll want to stick around until the end to hear which albums we chose. And if you miss what we picked or want to check out any of our other previous shows, download us on your favorite podcast platform and click subscribe so you can get our newest episode every week. We also want to interact with you guys and read your opinions. So if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or DM us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Pretty soon we'll be posting our episodes to YouTube, so keep a lookout for that. It, there's been a bit, little bit of a delay on that, but we'll definitely have them up soon. And while you're on our social media pages, be sure to check out Kenneth Dean with Rusty Metal Plus, where he gives you more details about his Rusty Metal pick. So, Kenneth, what is your Rusty Metal pick this week? All right, like I said, this week we go back 36 years to 1985, and I'm picking another EP, and this EP is Celtic Frost's Emperor's Return. Um, It was released on Noise Records in Europe, Enigma and Metal Blade in the United States. It was produced by Horst Muller, Rick Lights, Tom Warrior, Martin Ain, and Carl Walterbach, or Walterbach, however you want to say his last name. It was recorded at, I want to say this, at Cayette Studios in Berlin, Germany, and Line-In Recording Studios in Zurich, Switzerland. This EP was my first taste of Celtic Frost. Now, growing up in the New York area like I did, we didn't call it Celtic Frost. Um, We were so used to playing the Boston Celtics that we always called them Celtic Frost. Uh, But it took years for me to get used to calling them Celtic Frost. And I know that's how you pronounce the band because I've heard them say it before. But, you know, when you're an 18-year-old, 15-year-old kid, you don't give a shit what they tell you. You just say Celtic Frost. <laughs> um, and I fell in love with the riffs, um, the sound, the clean and powerful production that, that, that this EP had. It was incredible. The bass was so deep and it, and it was so in your face, but yet it was so clean that it, it, you know, there was only three instruments and, and Tom singing. So everything just cut right through. Then the mixing was so good. These, these EPs, the early Celtic Frost stuff was really recorded well. And so it, it comes across so, so good and so powerful that it, it's, it's hard to argue with, you know, how good this stuff really sounded back in 1984, 1985. It, in comparison to the stuff when, uh, Hellhammer did Apocalyptic Raids. I mean, those were demos. And this was just high-end production for that time period. So it was really cool. So it, that is one of the first things that really sucked me into this EP. Um, the EP contains five songs, Circle of the Tyrants, Dethroned Emperor, Morbid Tales, Visual Aggression, and Suicidal Winds. And the EP, combined with the Morbid Tales EP that came out the year before, established Celtic Frost as players in the European thrash scene. And what ended up 
getting them into the, or not getting them into it, but what attracted people that, that would eventually form the black metal community was how Celtic Frost's um, publicity photos were so bleak. They just wore black. They just were very sad looking all the time. And, and you know, their hair straight down. It was, I mean, early, early black metal type promotional material. And to the point where even Tom G. Warrior sometimes would wear corpse paint. Um, so he was one of the early adopters of that, but yet they weren't playing, uh, black metal. They were playing their form of thrash metal, which would eventually become like very avant-garde. That's eventually what the genre was called for their kind of music was avant-garde metal. But essentially it was a combination of several different things, but it was, you know, very heady musical, you know, space kind of sounds combined with the thrash and combined with the, the hard and heavy metal stuff that's out there. And so it, it, they made their own way about them. So that was one of the things that was really cool about Celtic Frost. But at this time, 84, 85, 86, 87, they were just straight up thrash for the most part. Um, the artwork on the album is very typical of the time of the era. Uh, it has, you know, a beast on the front and he's surrounded with scantily clad women and, uh, and I wouldn't even say scantily clad. It was, you know, they're, they're basically naked with a couple of, you know, lingerie strings around their parts. So it was really a weird cover, but you know, when you're a 14, 13 year old kid, like this is cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you just want to kind of get every band to do that, you know, sort of like uh, was it was the other band, Witchfinder General, that had cool covers. But um, anyhow, the band would end up remastering this EP along with the Morbid Tales EP from the year before, and they combined it into one package in 1999 and remastered it, and then again they remastered it and kept a combination package in two, in 2017. Um, and finally, The Emperor's Return contains some of their most popular songs, uh, such as Circle of the Tyrants, Morbid Tales, and Dethroned Emperor, and all of which have been covered countless times by heavy metal bands um, and black metal bands. And some of the most popular being um, Anthrax, they did a cover of Dethroned Emperor. Uh, and from the Morbid Tales EP, Sepultura did a cover of Procreation of the Wicked. So, you know, some big names have done some covers of their, of their songs. So that's pretty cool. Um, the album is still available on streaming or the EP. You can still stream it on Spotify and, and all the other streaming networks. And it is still available for purchase out there. So get it if you can. It's really cool. You'll enjoy it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of that era of, uh, of the band. So I definitely uh, will give that another listen. <laughs> cool. All right. So my Freshly Forged this week actually somewhat relates to yours in that um, it's a member of Tom G. Warrior or Tom Fisher's current band, Trypticon. Um, it is the drummer, Hannes Grossman's new solo album, To Where the Light Retreats. Um, 2021 just came out. Uh, there's two tracks that I've heard off of it that I just absolutely love, and that's In the Glacier's Eye and The Sun Eaters. Um, the band consists of Hannes Grossman on drums, who he also writes the music, all of it. Um, Linus Klausenitzer, who I mentioned just recently was with uh, Obsidious. He previously was with or Obscura. Um, I believe he actually joined Obscura after... Hannes left the band, which is kind of interesting that they all have this connection. Um, but 
uh, Danny Tunker on guitars and uh, V Santura on vocals. Um, I had listened to Hannah's stuff before, which it's funny. He's evolved so much over releasing all these solo albums. I really wasn't expecting what I heard here, which is kind of a combination of technical death metal with some black, black metal elements. And I was just blown away. I've loved every track so far. Um, I'm going to keep listening to it as, as the week goes on and really get more into it. Um, but if you're not familiar with Hannes, um, he was in Necrophagist, uh, Obscura, like I mentioned, he played on two of my favorite albums from that band. He kind of came onto my radar because of that band with Cosmogenesis. Um, he played with Christian Moinsner, who was also in uh, Obscura with him on his solo albums, uh, Alkaloid, and like I mentioned, Trypticon. He hasn't re- recorded anything with them other than a live album yet, so um, that's the only way to hear him playing with that band. Uh, but the guy is an amazing drummer. He teaches online drum lessons as well. Even if you're not a, a drummer and you're just interested in, in music like, like, like me, um, I've watched a couple of his, his drum lessons, and I'm just blown away by this guy. So definitely check out this album. Like I said, it's To Where the Light Retreats. And definitely look back at his his uh, entire catalog because I think it's a real treat if you like anything like uh, technical death metal or even just are a big fan of, of uh, instrumentals or or um, just drumming in general. Is, is he the drummer that's on the Obsidious song that you had? Um, no. Previous? Okay, because that drummer is just freaky fast oh yeah all these guys they're just extremely uh talented musicians all all very well trained and and somehow they've all you know they cross over they play on this album together but they're friends and they invite each other over to their solo albums and there's just this connection of these really tightly um well-trained musicians in in this this region which is so impressive they're all german guys and uh, i i don't know what they're doing but man i'm i'm so impressed i i i've always said since i was uh, a teenager that metal musicians uh, specifically the the harder heavy metal ones uh, and nowadays it's even more so are are more talented than some of the most talented, you know, uh, orchestral musicians, uh, because it is just fascinating to see how fast they play, uh, and the technical guys, you know, technical death metal, progressive metal, those guys, they they are so proficient in the instrument. It is absolutely amazing. I mean, when you think about the fact that they do all that stuff, and it's 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 learned it's in their head it's not something that they go and they 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 read music like the orchestral musicians these guys know it off the top of their head and they have to play concerts anywhere from 30 minutes to 2 hours long and mm-hmm. to know all this stuff just by heart you know that's it, that's absolutely amazing and so oh and, know, and even more so that they do riff and they do um it's not like it's all 100% accurate all the time like they know the scales so say somebody goes off and 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 messes up like they have to be talented enough and and skilled enough to be able to to match what somebody else is doing Mm -hmm. like that's that's the thing that blows my mind is say somebody um gets off or something happens they they are able to recover so quickly and it's so technical and so 
quick and it, it it seems like something that you wouldn't be able to me- like recover from if there was a mistake. Oh, it's, I, I've I've seen those things live. It's it's crazy. I mean, it's 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 awe inspiring, really. Mm-hmm. Um, to and you know, absolutely jaw dropping to see some of these musicians play. I mean, yeah, they play heavy metal. They play this really hard stuff, and for a lot of people, it's not their thing. It's not mainstream. Mm-hmm. But the the fact that these musicians can do that is absolutely incredible to me. So oh, yeah. I love that stuff. Um. And speaking of a very technical person, and I want to I want to go ahead and talk about this real quick before we go into the to the rest of the show. Um, I want to address the issue that's going on right now with Megadeth. Um, as many of you've already heard, um, Dave Ellison is no longer in the band for reasons that we're not going to get into. Everyone kind of knows what's happened already. Um, I made a comment to you last week when we were talking about this when it when it kind of first broke, um, and. I kind of almost want to retract my statement because I, I I read an interview with their with their former producer Max Norman. It kind of gave a different perspective because it was like a third party outsider perspective. And um, I kind of there's some parts of it that I agree with and some parts of it I don't. Essentially, it, it's you know what I didn't agree with was why Megadeth would go ahead or Dave Mustaine specifically would go ahead and fire Dave Ellison. They've been together since 1984, you know, on and off. Cause he, you know, obviously Dave, you know, junior, uh, sued Mustaine for, for, for money at a period of time. They've put that behind them. Um, they, they started working with each other again and they've done a bunch of albums recently. Uh, especially, you know, the most recently Dystopia, they were in the middle of recording their latest album and done. Um, Then this internet incident happened. um, And basically Ellison was was embarrassed and and, um, a lot of things came to light. What I found shocking was not only that they let him go, but then the statement said that with an already strained relationship, we had no choice but to go ahead and make this move. And that that is more telling than anything else that there was already a strained relationship. So we don't know what was going on in the background with Dave and Dave and the rest of the band, but obviously there was something else there. This triggered the move that needed to to happen in in Mustaine's eyes. I was in the, I was in disagreement with it. I didn't think it needed to happen or it should have happened, but after reading Max Norman's comments, I kind of realized, you know what? He was right. He's, Megadeth is a brand, and Dave Mustaine is protecting the brand. And Max had mentioned, "Hey, you know, when they're going to be on stage, you know, everyone's going to be pointing at this guy. So, yeah, that's the dude. That's the guy who you know did what he did, and, and you know, got exposed the way he did. And so it was going to become an embarrassment. And Dave is you know, Mustaine is far from being that type of person who's going to be ridiculed. So you know, I." I the statement that I made to you, I kind of retract because I was way against them firing him, but I understand it now that it was something that had to happen for a variety of reasons. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations that I think they tried to play it off like we're gonna you know, we're gonna investigate this more, we're gonna pay attention to it, but it reaches a point where um if there's already an issue going on, is it is it worth fighting and and having that, you know, that be the focus and take away from what they're doing, what they're the music they're doing. So I can understand that from that perspective. If there was no issues ahead of time, 
then you know you you need to stick by your friends and and it's just one of those things like we don't know all the ins and outs we don't we can't so um we kind of have to leave it to them to figure out and it i can i can't imagine it's just dave you know or dave mustaine there has to be other people involved saying this is i'm not comfortable with this etc so right i I, I totally get that and you know the other thing too that that max brought up in his interview was that junior never really apologized he he just said that he was going to look into it and now you've heard that he's going to you know look for revenge porn charges against the person who released the video so but never at any point did he say i'm sorry I'm sorry I embarrassed the band. I'm sorry I embarrassed my family. I'm sorry to my wife, to my family. Nothing like that. There was a press release that was written by him or or whatever publicist he may have that was, you know, kind of trying to ease it and say that he didn't do some of the things that he's accused of, but there was never really an official apology. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he's apologized to his wife in private. I would like to think so. You know, and I'm sure he's apologized to Dave in that's, private. You know, but that's insane. none of our business. Yeah. Right, it's none of our business. But sometimes just because you are a public figure and you do have that kind of connection, a lot of times it is best to do something like that. And he never did, so I, I'm assuming that's part of what happened. You know, and you know, assumptions can fly all you know all over the place, and we're, we're never going to know the truth behind it. But the bottom line is, is that Dave Ellison is out of Megadeth. Jason Newstead will not be joining Megadeth as the new bass player, and we will see a new album and a new bass player from Megadeth pretty soon. I didn't even know Jason Newstead was was on the table. No, he isn't on the table, but there was people clamoring for it because, you know, he's an ex-Metallica guitar player, uh, bass player. He's available, you mm. know, and at one point he was trying to get back into heavy metal. Okay. And you know, so a lot of people tried to put two and two together and didn't realize that it just wasn't adding up to four. You know, <laughs> so understood. So and his wife, Jason's wife, came out and made a statement on Instagram that he would not be joining Megadeth. So, mm, okay. Anyhow, um, so that brings us to another band that's had some internal conflict <laughs> over the years. That's Slayer, and we're doing their greatest hits. So uh, we're going to pick fifteen songs each of what we think are Slayer's greatest hits. Um, we're going to keep the ones that we've duplicated and then we're going to see what's left over and then debate which ones we want to keep out of those, come up with 15 awesome songs and then put them into some sort of concert set list. And that'll be our Slayer's greatest hits. Um, whose turn is it? Uh, I mean, I can go first this time. It's no big deal. Okay, then go for it. All right, so if you've listened to our previous Slayer episodes, which you sh- definitely should, um, you probably know that both of us are kind of uh, more interested in a certain era of the band. So uh, there's a couple albums that aren't going to be represented here for me. Um, I like the early era, you know, the uh, from pretty much from Hell Awaits to uh, Seasons in the Abyss. I do like a couple tracks off of divine intervention and then i like the last three albums that they released uh you know before the band broke up so i'm going to start it off with hell awaits off of hell awaits um chemical warfare off of haunting the chapel 
uh, Angel of Death from Rain and Blood, uh, Postmortem, uh, and Rain and Blood, also from Rain and Blood. Um, South of Heaven, Silent Scream, and Mandatory Suicide from South of Heaven. War Ensemble, Seasons in the Abyss, and Dead Skin Mask from Seasons in the Abyss. Uh, Killing Fields from Divine Intervention. Hate Worldwide from World Painted Blood. And Repentless and Vices from Repentless. Yeah, my, my uh, list is a little different than yours. There's some crossover, as expected. Um, my era of the band is the classic Dave Lombardo era from Show No Mercy all the way through uh, Seasons in the Abyss. Um, from the point at which they made um, the live album uh, that came out after Seasons in the Abyss, um, from that point forward, I was never really into Slayer. Although I have most of the albums, I always kept a, a cursory eye on the band i liked one or two songs here and there i definitely around the the year 2000 lost complete touch with what was going on with slayer i know that they were being featured you know they were trying to become you know a a new metal thrash band for a little bit or you know they it was a blink in the eye or blink of an eye if you missed it um they were you know had songs on the wwe attitude era um you know they had songs in in you know, video games, but I just, I paid zero attention to anything that wasn't on the popular scene. And I was just, just a lot of things going on in my life at the time. And then, you know, as things went on, I would see when the new albums came out and, you know, Diabolus and Musica and Christ Illusion and all those albums then. And I was just never, I never really got into it. To me, a lot of those albums didn't have that it factor that the early albums had. And then Repentless came out, and, and it wasn't supposed to be their last album. Kerry King said that they, he had a bunch of material ready to go for another album. But I think there was a lot of things that really came down to it in terms of business decisions, and they finally decided to and put Jeff it Jeff Hanneman it. passing away. I think yeah, that, with, he, with Jeff passing away. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this that was their first album, Repentless, without Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were ready to do another album, and they were going to actually give Gary Holt a little bit more input. But I think there's there's a little rift between Tom Mariah and and Kerry King that kind of grew during that last tour, and I think it was just they finally just said let's put this to bed and and move on, and so which is fine because you know I'd rather than put out shit music, you know, end it on a high note. I mean they toured for a couple of years and and they did great. So, um, but anyway, um, so that's that's where my era of Slayer is uh, early. Dave Lombardo classic stuff. So my list, 1 through 15, is going to be Die by the Sword from Show No Mercy, The Antichrist from Show No Mercy, Chemical Warfare from the Haunting the Chapel EP, uh, Hello Waits from Hello Waits, Angel of Death from, or actually Angel of Death and Raining Blood from Rain and Blood, South of Heaven, Mandatory Suicide, and Behind the Crooked Cross from South of Heaven, War Ensemble, Seasons in the Abyss, and Expendable Youth from Seasons in the Abyss, World Painted Blood from World Painted Blood, Skeleton Christ from Christ Illusion, and Repentless from the Repentless album. So that's my 15 Slayer songs. Um, more songs from certain albums that I, that I didn't expect to have, um, but that's because I like Raining Blood so much that 
I, I there were just certain songs like the middle the middle songs between Angel of Death or so, so the, the eight songs between Angel of Death and Raining Blood, they're all good together as a package, but independently, I, I think they they lack. Whereas on these other songs that are on South of Heaven and Seasons of the Abyss kind of stand out as their own. So anyway, that's that was my list. So what do we have that's duplicated? We got Hello Eights. We've got Hello Eights, Chemical Warfare. Angel of Death, Raining Blood, South of Heaven, Mandatory Suicide, War Ensemble, Seasons in the Abyss, and Repentless. Mm-hmm. So we have six that we have different. Okay, so mine that I have that you do not have are Postmortem, Silent Scream, Dead Skin Mask, Killing Fields, Hate Worldwide, and Vices. Okay, so... We have six spots, 12 songs for six spots. Just looking at the list, um, I can tell the first two songs I have on my list, Die by the Sword and Antichrist, are off of Show No Mercy. You don't have anything off of Show No Mercy, so we can at least pick one song from there. Uh, I would say for me, my song is going to be Die by the Sword. Um, That song is one of those where it's not the first song on the album, but it's probably, to me, the best song on that album. Uh, I would agree it's the best song on the album. I, I just, like like I've said to you before, I have a hard time listening to Show No Mercy because of the production. Um, I, there are good songs on it that that are enjoyable, but it's just, like, if I'm going to pick something that I honestly like, you know, if I say, is Diet by the Sword a good song? Yes. Is the recording terrible? Yes. Do I like this other song better because of that reason? <laughs> yes. So I just <laughs> I, mean, I just had a hard time putting anything from Show No Mercy on here. Yeah, it's it's tough because yeah, the production is is, is terrible. I mean, the budget was minimal. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes you think. You hear all the albums from the Big Four, right? And it's like Metallica. You know, like Metallica stood out even with their first album. Both Slayer's album and Metallica's album came out the same year. Um, they were, you know, Metallica came out earlier, Slayer a little bit later, but the production is just drastically different. And you, you can't tell me it has anything to do with, you know, listening to it now that it has anything to do with remastering because I've listened to that old, the original Megaforce that I own and it sounds so much better. I mean, now mind you, is it what they sound like now or is it, is it got the, the, the superior quality to it? no. But it still sounds a hell of a lot better than anything the other three bands put out. And Anthrax to me would be the close second because Megadeth's album it just sounds like shit. They, they they spent all their money on drugs and then they had to scrap everything together yeah. at the last minute. You know? Yeah, I mean, definitely Metallica was was heads above the others when it came to the debut album. The the sophomore albums definitely a huge improvement, even though Hello Waits still has to me pretty bad production. Um, but it was, you know, that third album from every band yes, where they hit their stride. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, yeah, I'm not going to take anything away from, from the second or third album from someone like Slayers was, was a little eh, iffy, you know, um, Anthrax did a major jump with, with spreading the disease, you know, um, major jump, yeah, yeah major jump. <laughs> Megadeth with peace cells was a huge jump, you know? So it was th- that year, you know, because Megadeth, they were kind of a, a year behind because Dave was still, you know, covering. So his second album 
was the equivalent in terms of time period as everyone else's third album, 86, 87. Yep. So it, it, it was that time period, that 86, 87, with, with those four bands just lit it up. I mean, everybody was, was just on the top of their game. So, yeah, so we're going to put Die by the Sword in for me. What's your pick to stay? Um, let's see. I would like to include, um, I got to put Dead Skin Mask off of Seasons of the Abyss. All right. All right. So with Dead Skin Mask being, um, you're keeping that one, um, with, with, uh, War Ensemble and Seasons of the Abyss already on, on the list as, as duplicates that we had, then I think we're going to need to remove Expendable Youth from the list um, so that we don't have four songs from Seasons in the Abyss. Gotcha. So that one goes bye-bye. All right, so what are you taking off? Um, so we have two, two tracks off of South of Heaven. Um, I'm a big fan of Silent Scream, but I don't have to have it on there. I can remove that one. Okay. All right, so now I'm keeping a song. Out of the three I have left, I'm going to go ahead and keep World Painted Blood. I was listening to that today again, and, and I, I really, for what it's worth for that time period, I enjoyed that song. Yeah, it's a great track. All right, then I would like to keep Vices off of Repentless. All right, so that leaves me with The Antichrist, Behind the Crooked Cross, and Skeleton Christ. And that leaves you with Postmortem, Killing Fields, and hate worldwide. So now I have to take something off. And I'm going to go and I'm going to remove Behind the Crooked Cross. All right, then I'm going to remove Hate Worldwide since you've already got World Painted Blood. So you got two songs left and I got two songs left. Okay, so between the Antichrist for me and Skeleton Christ... Um, just so that we can have more representation from the newer stuff, I want to go ahead and keep Skeleton Christ. Okay. And for the same reason, um, as much as I love Postmortem, and it is in my top four <laughs> um, songs by Slayer, um, I do want to keep Killing Fields so we have m- more representation as well. All right. So we're getting rid of Postmortem. You're keeping Killing Fields. All right, so this is definitely a spread across the spectrum of Slayer. All right, so this is this is what we got. Uh, we've got Die by the Sword, Chemical Warfare, Hell Awaits, Angel of Death, Raining Blood, South of Heaven, Mandatory Suicide, War Ensemble, Seasons in the Abyss, Dead Skin Mask, Killing Fields, World Painted Blood, Skeleton Christ, Vices, and Repentless. Shoot. All right, so I think last episode you went first with your choice. So I'm going to go first this time in terms of starting the show off. And this is a tough one because all their songs are pretty fast, (laughs) except for a few. Um, But I also know certain songs need to, to hang out until the end. Um... I got two in mind, 
And it's a question of whether or not, no, I'm going to scrap that second one. My first, my first choice for uh, opening song is going to be War Ensemble. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good choice, honestly. All right. What do you got? All right. If you're going with that one, then let's see. Why don't we go kind of old school and go with Chemical Warfare? I like that. I like it. All right. This is where we slow it down. This is where they do their ballads. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, how about, um, I mean, in terms of bringing things down to a different pace, um, what do you think about Seasons in the Abyss in this spot? Yeah, I'm good with that. I was I was either going to say Dead Skin Mask or Seasons, so I'm good with either one. Okay. All right. Your turn. All right. Um, so why don't we do mandatory suicide here? Okay. Just because we know there's a, there's a, this this is loaded with certain songs that are going to expand the horizons. Uh, what about World Painted Blood after mandatory suicide? I'm good with that. I try to when I'm when I'm doing these, I also try to kind of balance the you know, the, the eras so that there is a good mix. Right. But at the same time, pick the songs that go with the right pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of new school um, towards the, the end of their career. I think it would be kind of cool to go back to the beginning of the career now um, with uh, Die by the Sword. Okay, cool. Um, we have one veto or two vetoes each. We have two. Uh, well, technically, we've done two in the past. We've only used one in <laughs> <Right>. recent. <laughs> um, I I almost want to try and keep "Die by the Sword" more towards the end. Okay. Um, because it, it is a big song off their first album. I almost think "Hell Awaits" would probably be good in this spot. Okay. What do you think? That's that's fine. It's your veto. All right. So that's my one veto. We're gonna put "Hell Awaits" in the spot. All right then. I'm going to go ahead and pick Vices for the next track. Okay. All right, so then from what I have on my list, um, I would I would put in this spot South of Heaven. Um, yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. Okay. Um, then I think it'd probably be a good time to put Dead Skin Mask. I agree. All right, so we're down to the last six. All right, so I have, or we have, uh, Skeleton Christ, Repentless, Angel of Death, Raining Blood, Die by the Sword, and Killing Fields. Um, I'm going to go with Skeleton Christ in this spot. Okay. Um, we have two spots before the closer, or for the, the, the set closer. So, I kind of want to use a veto here, and... Okay. And that's to place something much earlier. Okay. Um, and that's Killing Fields. I kind of want to put, put as the fourth track, so move everything down from there. And the, the reason being is, so you go from season, Seasons of the Abyss, which is kind of a slower track, mm-hmm. and then Killing Fields is like insane fast drumming. It's it's just it it blows things up. And then to go into mandatory suicide, which kinda takes it a little bit slower, 
Um, but but just to step down, I think it's a really good position for it. So I almost want to take that back and put it up into the four slot instead of um, kind of how we have it now. Because I feel like it's too fast for this late in the show. Okay. No problem. So, I, I, I like that idea. Um, you're more familiar with killing fields than I am, so, so that helps out. Um, and that's good because that kind of helps the flow of the, of the end here. Cause we're yeah, now, exactly. We're that was what I was 11. concerned about. Yeah. We're at song 11 and we need to put in 12, 13, 14. So we got the last, the encore and then song 12. So I kind of know what's already going to be in the encore. So I think what we should do is we should end the main set with die by the sword. All right. Then I think you got to start off with angel of death. I like that. For the yeah. And then Repentless at fourteen? Yeah. I think that's a good one. And then closing out the show, Raining Blood. And then that, that's when all the blood spills from the scaling. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see that video? The their concert yeah. when they did that? Oh yeah. That was that was pretty nuts. Pretty wild. All right. Raining Blood. Not to be confused with Rain in Blood. The album title, even though the the lyric in the song is "Rain and Blood." Yeah, it's it's so weird. All right, so that puts it that gives us our final fifteen, and let me go over that. So, song number one, starting off the show, is "War Ensemble," and then number two, "Chemical Warfare," and then we slide right into "Seasons of the Abyss," and then we're gonna go into "Killing Fields" and totally just thrash your neck out, and then. Bring back the pace to normal to, with mandatory suicide at number four, number five. No, excuse me, at number at five. Number six, world painted blood. Number seven, hell awaits. Number eight, vices. Number nine, south of heaven. Number ten, dead skin mask. Number eleven, skeleton Christ. And then closing out the main set is die by the sword at song number twelve. And then the encore, we open it up with Angel of Death, and then we go into Repentless, and we close out the show with Raining Blood. I think that's a pretty awesome list. I would definitely agree, and I, I think it shows a really good um, you know, full spectrum of the band. Unfortunately, like I said, we, we're not big fans of that kind of middle section in the early 2000s, so some of that wasn't represented here, um, but... That also opens things up. If you disagree with our list, make sure to send us a note. You know, say, you know, this is my big or my my 15, you know, top Slayer songs and let us know if we're if we're wrong. Yeah, I mean, wrong or right, you know, this is what we we came up with and and this is what we like. I mean, I'm you know, obviously much older than you, but you still have a, a, an affinity for the older Slayer stuff and there's going to be people out there that just really dig the stuff from 2010 on, you know, those, or maybe 2005 on those couple of albums in there. So, you know, no one's wrong. Everyone's right. You know, we all have our opinions for this, you know, definitely send in a direct message or a reply to something. I'm going to be posting this list on Spotify. So you'll get our list on Spotify. You can download it. You can listen to it. You could jam out that playlist. Um, Give us your playlist, and maybe you know, I'll, I'll I'll put it in as a as a you know listener based uh you know what do they call that 
a listener based, you know, uh, recommendation. So definitely, definitely do what that, do that and interact with us. That'd be fun. Cool. So that is our Slayer's greatest hits. And that brings us to now the big four where we will pick our big four Slayer albums. All right. So I will be going this, uh, sorry, I will be going first this week. Um, so let's see. My number four is going to be Repentless. I was really surprised that I liked Repentless as much as I did, uh, especially after Jeff had passed away. Um, but I think in a way it was, it was a, um, it was an album that the band kind of worked through whatever feelings they had going on. Uh, from what I understand, even though it's credited as Kerry King and Tom Araya, um, Tom Araya has said pretty much he wrote all the music. Um, which I, it's based on the stories that I've heard. I tend to kind of believe his his uh, perspective on it. Tom Araya um, wrote all the music. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yep. Okay. Um, and I was I was really impressed. There's a lot of tracks off of this album that I really like. Uh, it's very aggressive. I I I enjoyed it a lot. So, if, if based on on you know that that level of aggression, etc. I think it's just it's a kick-ass album. Uh, number three, uh, Seasons in the Abyss. This was a toss-up between my number two because I love both albums so much, and we talked about them uh, before. Um, but I think just right now, you know, based on what I've been listening to and the fact that I keep going back to my number two over and over and over again recently, um, I kind of had to pick that one over Seasons, even though I think Seasons is is the more mature of the two albums. Um my number two is South of Heaven. And like I said, I just keep going back to this album over and over again lately. Um, I think just something about it just keeps appealing to me. And I, it's, you know, these three albums, the, my number one, two, and three, are really Slayer at their peak. And, of course, I think you can figure out what my number one is, and that's Rain and Blood. And it's just, it's just like... A nearly perfect album in its entirety. When you when you listen to it from beginning to end, um, there's not much that I find here that I don't like, and it's 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 a quick album. You know, it doesn't take a tremendous amount of time to get through, um, but it it has no dead weight. It's it's not like there's just a bunch of filler crap. It is good from beginning to end, and and I have nothing bad to say about Rain and Blood. I like your list. I like that. Um, Repentless is is. Is a, a new is obviously their last album that they put out, but it was really really good in terms of just having to me better songs than they've had in the, the past few albums, um, and then the production was pretty good. Strange that I, I did not realize that, that King says uh, not King uh, that Tom Araya said he wrote most of the music. That's interesting. Um, and then the rest of the other three albums, of course, you know those are classics. Um, my list is almost the same as yours, three out of four. Um, I had to choose one album, and it's my number four album, because of where it stands in the history of, of Slayer. So my number four album is Show No Mercy. And as, as for, for all the faults that it has in the production, you can't help but realize that this album has so much um, potential, and, and you realize what was about to, what was to come from this band. Um, they were so raw, so fresh and the whole scene between them and Metallica and then eventually, you know, Anthrax and, 
and the whole Bay Area middle, you know, Exodus was was there. And and Slayer and Exodus, very similar frame of mind when it came to the topics that they were they were addressing. Although Slayer went a little more satanic straight up and um Exodus kind of tried to be evil, but it just didn't come across that way. They were, you know, they had too many goofy looking album covers and it didn't go along with we're trying to be evil. You know, it was, it, it, they didn't play off each other correctly. So I think that's another reason why Exodus had a hard time breaking through. So Show No Mercy to me had so much potential and so much there, you know, with a song like Die With A Sword and the Antichrist and, and stuff like that, that you knew there was something awaiting besides hell uh, that was <laughs> that was becoming, <laughs> that was going to come from the band. So, um, so that's my number four. My number three is South of Heaven. Um, you know, coming off of, of Rain and Blood and you get this album, they had, they, they, they go from this album that was just a speed metal, heavy metal thrash album masterpiece to you know, what do we do now? They literally went in the opposite direction and they, they, they slowed everything down. They chugged it up a little bit. That was South of heaven. Um, so I like that album. Number two for me is seasons in the abyss. I think there was, you know, there was a good combination of the fast and the slow and the mid paced. So it had, it had everything in that one album. And I think that's the reason why I put it at number two. There was, there were, to me, there were better songs overall. So I, I put that down as my number two. And of course, number one, uh, you can't help but put, put the, the ultimate classic, the peak of the, the, the band. And that was Rain and Blood. And that album is absolutely their best album, you know, in their entire career. And it defined them. It defined the genre at the time with everything else that came out in 86 and 87. So it is definitely a classic and is my number one. That's definitely a good list. All right. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Remember, if you like what you heard today, be sure to check us out on social media and leave us a comment. Make sure to tune into the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.